Hello and welcome to Fintech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, I have Michael Curtis, president of Vision Systems. Vision Systems is a Canadian-based financial planning software that can do full and comprehensive financial planning for individuals, corporations, and trusts, and boasts the most accurate financial planning software on the market. And with that, here's my interview with Michael. Hello, Michael. Jason, thank you for the opportunity to be with you today. Well, thank you to, for coming in. So Michael Curtis of Vision Systems Corp. Tell us about Vision Systems. We produce financial planning software. In my opinion, it is the most robust mm -hmm. and also the most accurate software in Canada. Okay. And we're going to dig into that shortly. Tell me about the journey to start this company and what was the impetus for it and how, what led you to here today? <laughs> well, let me give you the... Uh, five cent abbreviated version. I was actually a stockbroker mm -hmm. and back in 1984 met a man who was doing financial planning and I had no must idea. Have been super rare back then. But yeah. Super rare back then. Yeah. And I had absolutely no idea what he was talking about. So he described it and I had just been recently married and thought not a bad thing for my new bride and I to go through. So we had a financial plan done. I got a great deal of value from it and I woke up one day about three months later and decided that's how I wanted to work with my clients. Mm -hmm. So I met with the man, we got together, we shot Bay Street, and we started the first financial planning department the fall of 1984. Hmm. What happened was that it was really a lost leader. There were two CAs, a CLU, a secretary, a lot of overhead. And we were charging back then about $2,000 a plan, which in today's terms might be four or 5000 So there wasn't a huge lineup. And eventually they shut the planning department down. But what they didn't understand was that those of us who were supporting it had seen revenue growth of about fourfold over the year and a half that the department was in place. Of which I have no surprise. So I went back to being a stockbroker in the old stockbroker way and found it very dissatisfying. Mm -hmm. And so what I did was I got together with a few friends. We used a commercially available software package this would be about 1988, and there wasn't much available, and it wasn't very good. No. And we tried to recreate the planning process to be able to work that way with clients. Well, one thing led to another, and ultimately, my passion became much more about planning than being a stockbroker. And I can't fault you. I think I went through a smaller, similar journey um, over a shorter period of time. Simply, when you see the power of what you can do through appropriate planning and realize that those are the things that are actually in your control yes. and the market is not, yes. it's it's hard not to, not, not to make that shift. In any event, we started a planning company. It was called LifePath. And we started building the software in 91, came mm -hmm. to market in 96, but it was commercially not successful. And the reason is that what I wanted to do, which was a lifelike model, simply wasn't doable with the technology of the day. So eventually the company closed down, started all over again in 98. There was a, a shift in programming technology that allowed us to actually do what we wanted to do. Hmm. And it took until from the beginning of 98 until June of 2002 before we actually released the software. It hmm. took four and a half years to build. Excellent. So that's the, the 50 cent history. Okay. And uh, a couple of things you touched upon there in the story. So the interesting point before we get into the software, you mentioned it was seen as a loss leader, despite the fact it was enabling the growth of so much new business. Do you feel that's still the way a lot of larger firms see it? I do, because they don't think they support planning the way 
it should be supported. I think that over the last several years, what's happening is the quality of planning is actually regressing. I think the industry is trying to turn it into something that can be highly automated, uh, very fast to create a plan. And the plans that are being done are not dissimilar to this sort of early spreadsheet approach that was taken literally almost 30 years ago. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I think it's largely due to the fact that the as public consciousness and awareness has grown into the concept of what a financial plan is and people such as myself has been winning business through comprehensive planning away from larger competitors. They've been basically scrambling to say, okay, we, we're losing enough business to financial plan. Let's start doing financial planning. But it's not something they take seriously. And yes. it's not so much, it's a, it's a pain, right? And because of that, they tend to do it in the most rudimentary, basic, lack of benefit way imaginable so that the client can hit the checkbox and move on to them going back to running the investments. So when you, it's, and I, I, I say this all the time, you know, when I look and see these large financial planning departments in, in some of the banks, and it's just like, well, that's nice. But end of the day, if that broker takes that plan and puts it in a drawer and never touches it or implements it, it's just a it's waste, a of, waste time. of time. Yeah. Absolutely. It's just there to appease the client. Right. So it's not surprising that what you're saying is that essentially you're not seeing a lot of, um, you're seeing a lot of regression because well, with more people doing it and more people not taking it seriously as opposed to the people who did take it seriously and did it before, you're going to see that. And it's, it's funny because I just had a conversation with another financial planning software company right before I stepped into here. And one of the complaints when we were just going back and forth was uh, the complaints on pricing. And I can't believe, given the price that you guys charge for this stuff, that anyone complains for what this stuff costs. It's, you know, to base such a core software around your business. And some of these people are complaining about less than $100 a month on average. Like, yes. give me a break. And as for the loss leader thing, no, that's very easily that's very easily solved. Charge a reasonable price for it. Yes. But so many advisors are just terrified of doing that because they're afraid they're going to lose the opportunity for the assets, failing to realize it actually leads to the opposite relationship. Anyway, that's my rant. So one of the <laughs> things you mentioned was accuracy. So accuracy, and I will attest to this because I do use you for complex cases. Tax-wise, I don't think anyone touches you. I would say that's true. Yeah. So let's, let's get, before we get into that and how that's possible, let's talk about the fact that you're actually three interlocking softwares put together. Can you speak to that? Yes. VisionWorks is for personal plans, CorpWorks for private companies, and TrustWorks for personal trusts. And then they link together, by which I mean dividends that are paid from a corporation will flow to the shareholders, be they individuals in VisionWorks, other corporations, in the case of a Opco, Holdco, or to, for example, a shareholder uh, trust. So you could have dividends going from a, an opco to a holdco to a trust. They retain their nature. The trust would then distribute its income out to the beneficiary and who would be the share, uh, sorry, the individual in VisionWorks. And again, the nature of the payments would be retained for tax purposes. Yep. And with that, I mean, you're you're calculating the tax bill on an annual basis and you're doing so with more accuracy than anyone else do. I mean, the corporate issue is, is a perfect example because in Canada we have things like refundable dividend tax on hand and uh, various credits that come with that and capital dividend accounts that can be paid out tax-free and you can handle that all pretty effectively quite frankly. There is a reason for this and it gets a little technical but my belief would be that all the setting aside some of the recent entries which are spreadsheets which inherently have their own limitations most of the heavyweight dominant software in Canada and the US mm -hmm. is what I'm going to call goals-based. And if you actually go back and look at it, 
you'll find that most of it came to market in 1998 or before. And the database technology that's in place is what I call static. Mm -hmm. So a very simple example would be you're dealing with a young doctor. I don't know what young doctors make, let's say $100,000 today. But let's say in five years, his expectation is to make $300,000. Well, in a static model, a goals-based model, you have a field where you put in salary. You put in one number, it's assumed yeah. to be Maybe inflated. Maybe growth rate, yeah. And if you're talking about somebody who might have a growth over time, maybe you figure out the average salary, but then immediately that makes a mess of cash flows. So our software is what I refer to as dynamic. It's a, a true life model. And the database is one where literally you could change any entry year by year. And in order to accomplish that in a way where the calculation speed was efficient, we actually had to create our own database. We couldn't use a commercial model. And we received a, a scientific research and experimental development government grant for that. Yeah. And they are very difficult to attain. You actually have to prove very clearly that you're doing something which is true technical innovation. Excellent. Well, well done. And I mean, you can kind of hit on something that is a, one of my personal gripes in this industry, and it's the debate between cash flow and goals-based planning. And frankly, I find the latter to be, quite frank, nothing more than a shortcut. I cannot, for the life of me, understand, and I, I've used both in the past, how you can expect a goals-based plan to actually work when you're not taking into respect what's actually happening dollar for dollar in a client's life, let alone, you know, you're the example you gave for, you know, static modeling versus not. Yeah, but I've seen this happen where, you know, they're giving the people that one number of, well, here's what you need in retirement to get to. And it's like, well, yeah, well, that's fine. Then all you're doing then is doing what's the cash, what's the uh, present value calculation to find exactly. the payment amount. And then, then is the question is, is that payment even feasible versus what they actually have? And I don't know about you, but no year in my life is the average year, right? I have exactly. car purchases in one year, I have daycare dropping off another. And these are dynamic numbers, especially when you start talking about businesses that change from year to year. And you have some idea of how these certain things are going to drop off, kids support, education, whatnot. So to not have a dynamic system that takes into consideration and calculates taxation based on that is, is just, to me, it's a shortcut. And it's not as valuable as, as doing the full job. Well, I think also that planes that are goals-based or static are extremely misleading. And I hesitate to say this, but almost criminal. And the reason I, I, I've used more colorful language in the past, but come on. Well, the reason I say it is clients are asked, how much income do you want in retirement or do you think you'll need? They come out with their number, which may or may not be accurate. Which is typically based off something like a rule of thumb that they've heard before, like 80 percent, which I Precisely. always question where did that even come from. But Precisely. You know. And then that's projected over their retirement years and inflated over time. And the underlying assumption is that they're as active spenders at 90 or 95 is when they first retire. Which we have data that proves the exact opposite, right? I think in exactly. Canada, there's statistics that show that the average 80-year-old spends, average 75-year-old spends about 80% of what the average 65-year-old does, right? Yeah. It's the old um, saying about your retirement's three stages, go, go, slow, slow, and then no, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so what ends up happening is we get this overstatement of the capital accumulation need. Now, given that people have lives to live, children to educate, you know, launch, etc., rep hockey, swimming, all those other sorts of things, very often it's not possible for them to save appreciably more. And so if they can't save more, you know, their choices are retire with a, a lesser income, work longer, 
earn a higher return on investment, which is where I think the, the criminal element well, comes yeah, in. Then that's, I, I hate that argument because the client's got a risk tolerance and exceeding that is basically just should not be an option, quite frankly. Exactly. Yeah. And then, of course, there's another choice, which is just die younger. But I don't think most people well, want that. It's funny. I had this I had this conversation yesterday at an event that I was at with another planner and we were discussing projection numbers in terms of returns. You should go, oh, you're seeing a little high. I said, well, yeah, they do, maybe, but they're still low compared to historical. And frankly, that's not what really matters. What matters is how much do they actually need to make in return based on free cash flow to actually make it to the finish line, as well as some other variables. And I say, the, the, so I find it astonishing that some of the overly conservative projections I see at like one and 2% on balanced portfolios for the rest of their lives, how that sort of thing is not discussed as being wrong as well, because, oh, you're being conservative, that's okay. Well, no, you're putting an undue amount of pressure on the client to change their behavior now or yes. to finance a retirement that is going to be based on your projections and based on history going to be far overcapitalized if they ever reached there. Yes. Yeah. So it's, you know, there are the quote unquote criminal-esque biases we have that can basically drive less than sub, less than optimal uh, results for clients. So it's important that we, we get around those. So back to the software. One of the things you said to me when I was about to test the thing out and I was just like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll see if that's the case was there's no workarounds, right? And yes. by that, I mean that whenever inevitably you're using a financial planning software and you come across some sort of advanced tax planning strategy involving insurance or special structures or corporations, you have to figure out something out because something else out because the software wasn't built to deal with that kind of edge case. I've yet to find something that I can throw out your software that won't work. Oh, <laughs> so, that's great to hear. So, so thank you. But yeah, can you talk to me about the driving, how you've implemented that and the driving uh, considerations for why you did that? Well, I think for one thing, it comes back to the dynamic nature of the database mm -hmm. so that you can go in and change anything anytime. A very common example is, especially in our society, people have big homes. Mm -hmm. And at some point in retirement, whether for financial needs, because they need to take capital out to buy groceries, or simply because a big house is more than they need, it's commonplace for people to downsize. But in some software, most or often a lot of software, selling a house and replacing it with a smaller house is difficult. In our software, because the database is dynamic, mm -hmm. we can go in and say, sell it any year. You can put in a commission. You can go in, buy something else. You can put in a, a land transfer tax. All of those sorts of things are, are just built in in the background. So my two favorite examples of, of this are uh, vehicles. Vehicles are commonplace, not leasing. I'm speaking about buying or buying and financing. Vehicles are commonplace. Well, you have a vehicle. What's it worth? It depreciates. You trade the depreciated value in against the inflated value of the new purchase. You finance all or some of the difference. It's very commonplace. And yet I have yet to find any other software that does that. It's very true. I mean, yeah, in, in most cases, we kind of always almost always assume a worst case scenario is scrap value is zero, but that's not realistic. And, and no, not know. at all. No. So one of the things you also do differently is that you take into consideration the entire family unit. Yes. Um, you want to speak to the advantages of that and why that decision was made? Well, I would suggest to you that will I be okay in retirement is part of the question that people need to get answered. But I also refer to the dinner table conversation. And I would, I would suggest that people don't sit around the dinner table and talk about their asset allocation in their portfolios or whether they need more critical illness insurance. They talk about things like 
can we afford to put a, or can we renovate the kitchen? What can we afford to spend on it? <laughs> Billy wants to go to Harvard. Can we afford Harvard? These are all the everyday dinner table conversations that people have. And in our model, our lifelike model, you can approach any of them, add any of them in to see what the implications are. The other part of this is that we actually integrate the terms of wills into the financial forecast. And I consider this to be totally overlooked in the industry and absolutely critical for between 40 and 50% of the population. The national divorce rate is 40%. And I've been told that the divorce rate amongst the gray set, whatever that means, is rising, is something like 48%. Yep. Actually, so, interestingly enough, and conversely, uh, millennials have the lowest divorce rates of any generation thus far. Although I will say those numbers are always skewed because it's the repetitive divorce people who keep on skewing them. Uh-huh. So like the, the rate for like second marriages is like 60% and the rate for third is like 80. And it's just like at that point, <laughs> who was doing it the third time? Like, so, yeah. But what ends up happening is in, in this case, so it's not just the, you know, I use the Bill Sue, Bill Jr. example. So first marriage, Bill mm-hmm. leaves everything to Sue, tax tax-free rollover. Sue leaves it to Bill Jr. That's when it's taxed. But what you get into with the second marriage situation and blended families is Bill leaves his TFSA, his RSP, his half of the house to Sue. But the cottage, which is in his name, previous marriage, his former wife took the house, he took the cottage. He wants to leave that to Bill Jr. You know, something's going to his child. So that can create a profound tax impact and very much affect Sue's well-being in her remaining retirement years and so on. So it's really necessary to do multi-generation planning. Mm -hmm. And what we recently did was we actually enhanced it. We went one step further so we can do three generations. And and honestly, especially when you start dealing with more advanced tax planning, the ability to do some income splitting strategies involving trusts, estate freezes, I mean, those just are things that just you can't do elsewhere. Well, and I think if you're dealing with the mass affluent or high net worth client who is going to be either reasonably comfortable in retirement or for whom retirement is not an issue, doing a retirement forecast that says you're going to be okay is a bit of a ho-hum. It's a thank you very much, but yeah. you know this wasn't very profound. No about, value add yeah. here. It's, it's that this strategy will pass on whatever gains to the kids and reduce your overall tax liability at time of death. I mean, those are the bigger concerns for those. That's right. Crowd. You know, one of the other things that you did too was, you know, a lot, oftentimes with previous, previous softwares, I'd have to run separate spreadsheets for some of these strategies. So one of the examples is something like an individual pension plan in Canada. So yes. you can set up a pension plan for as a business owner for yourself or any one person, but try to model that. It's a defined benefit plan. Try to model that into the actual, uh, into any other software, it's just not going to happen. You have to basically treat it as an expense and then a cash flow coming in, right? And that's, right. that's cumbersome to say the least. You literally made it a Dropbox. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Because that's, uh, that's definitely made life easier. So I got to, I got to ask, I mean, that's, that, you deal with a lot of edge cases in your software. How do you ever feel like you go too far down the rabbit hole of these things? Or is it just a kind of a personal belief that you have to? I do feel sometimes that we go too far down the rabbit hole because it's made the software over time increasingly more complex. Yes. The issue is that we do these things because we're asked to do these things. So a very recent example, our last release, in fact, we had a client who called and said, I have a client who has a TFSA, but it's an employee share purchase plan. I can't model it. So I said, 
send me some information, had a look at it. Now, I acknowledge that an ESPP within a TFSA is not going to be that common. But nevertheless, what we did was we, because we do model uh, employee share purchase plans, we included that modeling capability within a TFSA. Now, the reason that we do this, and it's a very strong belief that I have, what happens with other software is that clients have to fit the mold of the software. Everybody is unique. In this case, the client had a, yep. an ESPP within a TFSA. Somebody else has a disabled child with an RDSP, for instance. If you can't model two things, their wants in life, their pictures of life, and their financial circumstances, because the client has to fit the mold of the software, the software can't manage those things, then what it does is it undermines belief and output. So even if it's a small thing, the client will look at the plan and say, that's not accurate. Therefore, the plan is not complete and belief is undermined. It's funny you say that because I've actually seen that happen in the past with software I was using elsewhere where it was just this one thing it couldn't handle it. So I literally had to just kind of X out or blank out something in the report and it completely undermined that client relationship. Like it was it was like clearly you didn't take enough time on this. Like, no, the software doesn't handle what you're asking it to. And, you know, it's just it was it, was, it just creates doubt. So so our, our belief is that the software has to mold to the client. Mm -hmm. Now, when it does, and you can model everything correctly, it doesn't even occur to the client. And my favorite example of this is when I do demonstrations of the software and I show all the will output, the estate output, because mm -hmm. we do it correctly. I have never once had an advisor challenge the estate calculation. And why I find that interesting is because if you're doing things accurately, everything is going in correctly, entered correctly, what happens is the clients place belief in output. And eventually that's a huge time saver Absolutely. because you can show the client, you've got a cottage, we can play with the appreciation rate if you wish, but this is the tax implication at death. You want to keep the cottage in the family? This is the amount of insurance you'll need. When clients see that and they trust the output, then now the conversation is about, well, you know, what kind of insurance or whatever it might be. But it's not a challenging you. I don't believe I need the insurance because you've shown oh, them clearly that, yeah, that it's they so have much a, a liability. Than some of the other needs analysis I've seen where you're like, oh, I'm just going to project this one liability. Well, what about all the other 12 to 13 things happening over exactly. here? Exactly. Right. So I, and it's not just the core software, the three that you've basically gone on the rabbit hole on. I mean, you've done that also on the portfolio side and the reporting side. Can you speak to that? Sure. Um, we decided to do the portfolio side a few years ago. Uh, what we were doing was what everybody does, which is a standard asset allocation model. But you've got advisors who are, let's say, accountants who uh, don't really want to get too much into the weeds on portfolios. They just want to be able to use some very basic rate of return. So we included um, the ability to do that. We included the ability to do separately managed accounts. Mm -hmm. So more and more advisors are moving to portfolio managers who offer different SMAs. Mm -hmm. uh, we retain the asset allocation model, but we also added the ability to model detailed portfolios. So whether they're stocks, mutual funds, SEG funds, ETFs, whatever it might be. So we created a separate tool and the concept is you can set up model portfolios in the tool and then it doesn't matter what plan you're in, whether you're dealing with TFSAs, RSPs, open money, whatever it might be, you simply import 
that portfolio from Portfolio Builder. But the thing I found unique about it is the fact that I'm able to control the form of income. Yes. And it's happening. So, you know, the, the standard ones of dividends, interest, capital gains, but in deferred capital gains. But there's more and more structures out there that exist that will maybe convert income, which is not a word CRA likes, or, <laughs> or, uh, or find ways to, you know, use derivatives or swaps that can change that, change the nature of it, right? Yes. And corporate class mutual funds being the big one in Canada. And I've often debated and had frustrations talking to other people about, hey, I can't, I'm using this structure. You know, it's, it's deferring 90% of the gains every year, and it's treating even interest like capital gains. I can't, you know, you're not modeling this correctly. You're adversely impacting your tax bill every year and then creating a smaller liability down the road. I need to yes. be able to show the difference in the power of this structure. And, you know, you are the only one in the, uh, who I can, I can trick some other ones into doing it, but I can actually create like corporate class portfolios. Yeah. And, and, you know, just even further than that, there's other offers, opportunity options or, or investments that offer return to capital distributions, right? That sort of thing is not modeling anywhere else other than what your software. So thank you for that. And then more recently, you've done that on the reporting side. You want to speak to that? Well, on the reporting side, we have presentation builders. So the concept is branding everything mm -hmm. so that in presentation builder, you can go in and you can select color sets, uh, design the look and feel of tables, yeah. graphs, any of those sorts of things, add your logos, whatever the case might be. Then whatever you do is reflected in VisionWorks, CorpWorks, and TrustWorks reports. Yeah. So sure. when you produce something, it's not just the content, but it has the look and feel that you want so that it's consistent with your brand. Which helps deal with one of my pet peeves, which is you can have two planners of very different capabilities and very different outputs in the plan. But if they're both using the same software and they spit out the same look and report, the clients could be like, I just left that guy because he was terrible and you're giving me something that looks almost identical. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's a small thing that undermines the client's faith in that because it's like, oh, you guys are just all using the same software. Maybe I should learn to use the software. So out of curiosity, what do you, any big plans for the near future in terms of software releases? We are working on something. Well, we're actually coming out with a new version of the software shortly. Okay. Um, and it will allow you, for instance, to generate reports in Word and, you know, it's going to have some additional flexibility that way. But our real focus is on something called my vision of life. So when we talk about our planning software, we've talked about how robust it is. And it's important also to note that you can do very simple retirement plans. And the reason I say that is if we come back to the old 80-20 rule, 80% of an advisor's clients will produce 20% of income and 20% mm -hmm. will produce 80% of income. So it's important to be able to do good quality retirement plans relatively efficiently. So we have that uh, capability. The issue in stepping up from those to the more robust plans that we've talked about is a matter of time. And the way I look at planning is that your area of expertise are all the financial estate and insurance tactics. And with financial, I mean tax tactics, et cetera, et cetera. So, but the client's area of expertise are their values and their wants in life, their vision of life. So the idea of the My Vision of Life site is to give clients the opportunity for those who are willing to sit down and flesh out the things they want to have and do in life. And then that can be imported into VisionWorks and you can then apply your financial planning expertise to it. And where I ultimately want to take that, if there's a reasonable interest in the My Vision of Life site, which is, of course, client oriented, is that the client will be able to go online, 
We'll have a website with the calculation engine in the background. Mm -hmm. The advisor will only be able to access the financials, applied planning uh, tax tactics, for instance. But the client will be able to go in, adjust what they spend on vacations, for instance, and see the impact in the long term on their income producing assets. Could mm -hmm. I to, uh, afford to spend more? Okay, or, old, I got to take one extra trip to Disney. Can I afford to do so? Yeah. Excellent. So before we wrap up, there's the same three questions I ask everybody to get them thinking, but uh, I'm going to start off with the first one and see where this goes. So if you had one wish, is there something you could change in your company, the industry, or the world as a whole? What would it be? One wish of what could be changed? Boy, that's a great question. <laughs> that's the I, most common response. <laughs> I, I believe that the evolution of thinking around planning came to a grinding halt in the late 90s. It became about creating these financial projections and seeing if we're going to be okay in retirement. And I believe that the true value of planning is in mastering change. And I don't use the word manage. We all have to manage change. By master change, I mean the ability to go in, put in things that we're thinking of having or doing in the short term and understand the long-term implications. The idea is we make our mistakes on the practice field of the software. We don't make them in real life where they can be irreversible and mm -hmm. potentially very costly. So it's this whole concept of mastering change, which I really believe is the greatest value we can bring to the client and also for our own business. It's how we transition to being the client's true uh, chief financial coach is helping them make these decisions so that at the end of the day, the client walks away saying, I've tested something out. It's going to work. I know exactly what I need to do. They make informed decisions. They feel good about them. They sleep well at night. And I think the industry quit moving forward in the late 90s. It got to the, we can do these retirement projections and it didn't go to the next level. Yeah, it, it kind of stopped at the software stage and didn't get into the implementa software implementing the life change and dynamics. I can, I can see that yeah. argument. So, that, so if, if I could have one wish, my wish would be to transition the thinking in the industry Towards to that. one of planning is really about mastering change, not financial projections. Excellent. What has been the biggest challenge in building the company to where it is today? The biggest challenge is just getting the message out. I suppose it's nothing more than a marketing challenge. I feel blessed with the programmers we mm -hmm. have. They're extraordinarily good. There has never been anything that I have asked them to do that they can't do. So I'm solid on the technology, but it, it is a, an issue of, you know, somehow communicating to advisors, shifting their perception to see that that in their own self-interest, frankly, they will flourish if they take a much more holistic approach to planning. Yeah. I think that's the biggest challenge. I feel like, in, you know, it's interesting. I look at the U.S. and I think that there's much more that that's definitely something that's the going trend and the norm or almost table stakes now it's becoming or at least it's becoming as such. In Canada, I feel like we're in the interim interregnum period here where we're basically we're in the they're starting to wake up to it, but they're faking it until they make it. I think um, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And you see it in England, too, by the way. Yeah. It's this whole absolutely. life financial planning approach that's their financial life planning approach that's being adopted. Yeah. I think the core problem and I'm seeing it 
the younger generation coming in who reaches out to me all the time for advice and to young advisors who want some guidance, I'm happy to take phone calls. I probably do one a week, but they're definitely woken up to that and they see the value of planning and they want it to be the core. They don't want to be focused on being salespeople is what the general response I get is. And when I say the fake it till you make it thing, it's like, okay, the other advisors have, are getting tired of losing business to planning. So they're trying to pay lip service to it. Mm-hmm. And until they wake up to the fact that this is a disruption to their under lying business. And if they don't lean into it and steer into that disruption, it's just going to be a losing game for them. Because frankly, um, a decent advisor can, or a decent planner can pick, can just pick apart any a poorly done plan or one that's just basically not going to be implemented. So if anything, it's just going to become a temporary reprieve from their very large blind spot that's going to make them lose business. Anyway, that's my rant. Well, um, can, may I just yeah, throw means- in an observation? I think that the younger generation or the younger planner approaching planning in a very serious fashion is extremely smart because if you are somebody who is older, who has wealth and you're being approached by a young advisor, you know, your initial reaction is, well, you're a little wet behind the ears. What's your experience? But on the other hand, somebody who's older might look at somebody who's younger and say, but one of your great strengths is that you're a master of, of computers and software. Yep. Oh, so if you produce a great quality plan that the client has never been exposed to before, now the focus of attention is on the quality of the plan in the client's life. It's not about how old you are. Well, I'll share, I'll share a story about a, a couple of cases we've had, and we've heard this over this story over and over again, but a more common kind of piece where we'll be competing with like say a two million dollar client or something like that and they'll either come into this money or be dissatisfied with something that's gone with their current advisor and they'll start shopping around so inevitably they'll go to at least three different shops right and we're one of them and you know we'll go through what it is we do and talk about how we're going to not even touch the money until there's a financial plan in place and here's what it costs and this is why you're paying us up front because we're committed to doing this and if you don't give us the guests we don't make money that way and essentially you know this is this is the offering here it is Right. They seem to they're very happy about it. And they're like, usually more often than not, they're like, wow, the you know, this is so different than the other experiences I've had. I'm like, what experiences have you had? It's like, well, in both cases, I sat down with the advisor and they pulled they listened to me for about five minutes and they pulled out some papers and they said, here's the portfolio I'll put you in. And don't worry if you don't like it. <laughs> don't worry if you don't like it. I'll change it. Right. And it's just like, wow. So all they were doing is saying that, hey, this is my job slash hobby. What matters is my my job slash hobby. Right. And here, I'll do my job slash hobby for you. Yes. Right. Yep. And I, I, I use the preface. I, I always say hobby because I'm I've yet to see any, any, any evidence ever produced in any academic field that shows that an advisor acting as a portfolio manager has any hope in hell of, of, of winning, of beating the market. So that's my rant again. So anyway, so the last question, what excites you and gets you out of bed in the morning to keep you going and, and pushing this, this business forward? I actually love working with our clients. I enjoy training them on the software, taking them from the sort of the crawl, walk, run, do a basic retirement plan, you know, add in wills, add in estate work, et cetera, you know, through to full meal deals, including corporations and trusts. I actually love working with them. And as I work with them, what I'm doing is I'm doing my best to shift their thinking towards, I need to take a more holistic life approach with my clients. And The reason I enjoy it is when I see success in that area, I know those advisors will lead a more fulfilling personal life 
I know that their business, what they bring to their clients will be far more valuable. And what that means is that there's a tremendous ripple effect so that a lot of other people are going to live, live more fulfilling lives. And I, I agree. I mean, I, I often, when I hear advisors talk about like, oh, that person had this terrible thing happen in their lives or something went wrong or and I didn't know what to do or just, I was just so quiet. To me, that's like, that's not I'm hiding. That's go time for me. It's like, yeah. what can I do to help facilitate to, you know, mother, your mother passed away. Okay. Sorry to hear it. Look, go deal with the funeral. Here's how I'm going to help you. Checklist for executors, executor services that'll help. Yep. Uh, you come to me with any question. If you want me to meet and help you with this, no problem. Like, that is the go time. That is that is the stuff that helps them in their time of need. It's far more fulfilling than sitting across them and saying, oh, look what I did compared to the TSX last year. Like, <laughs> yes, exactly. congratulations. I rolled the dice with your money <laughs> and I managed to beat it. But you know what? I'm going to hide under my table when the market's down. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so I uh, glad glad to see you are providing us with the tools to help us fight the good fight. So thank you for coming in and thank you for taking the time. Jason, a real pleasure. My pleasure. So that was my interview with Michael Curtis of Vision Systems. Hope you enjoyed that. And uh, as you can see, I'm a big proponent of comprehensive and accurate financial planning. So um, as always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever it is you get your podcasts. Until next time, I'm Jason Pereira. Take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at fintechimpact.co.